0: Welcome to the Growth Pioneers podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On today's episode, I interview a good friend, Michael Newman, the CEO and founder of Red Dot Management. We cover a wide range of topics, including traveling the world with four young children, Burning Man, the role of being a first responder in developing leadership style in a technology business, and many other topics. So I hope you enjoy Growth Pioneers. Michael, welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. Thank you, Doug. It's a pleasure to be here. That's ex- I've been looking forward to this uh, conversation for a while. I have as well.
1: Thank you for letting me be the very first guest.
0: Yeah. So for all those out in podcast land, uh, today my first guest is Michael Buman. He's the founder and CEO of Red Dot Management, a fintech company, which we'll learn a lot about. Uh, but beyond that, he's just... An amazing human. I am really honored to to know him and be a friend Um, and just excited to uh, have you on the podcast today, Michael. Welcome.
1: Thanks, man. That's a very warm intro. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So how how did we first meet?
1: Oh, (laughs) I love this story. My Doug Irwin story. Uh, I had moved to Truckee and was looking to relocate my company. And another entrepreneur that I knew in Truckee said, oh, you should connect with the good folks at EDON. Uh, And I think he listed you specifically, and we got connected via email. And he said, oh, come on down. I'll give you a cultural tour of Reno. Which is really fun, by the way. Uh, Which, well, it turned out to be fun. Uh, Me being me, I went, that sounds like not maybe something I want to do. Uh, and I almost blew you off, which, uh, I look back now and, and, really glad I listened to the little voice, but, uh, we got connected that way and then met in person doing the downtown cultural tour of Reno, which I, I, needed cause I didn't have any experience in Reno or hadn't really didn't know much about the town. And, uh, I'll never forget how, as we're got to know each other and, you know, you're so, you're so perfectly suited for that role. Um, And we're walking around downtown Reno and you're pointing everything out and giving me the feedback and uh, kind of filling me in. And and no less than 15 different people uh, approached us to talk to you about entrepreneurship and Reno and just general levels of awesomeness. And I remember very clearly thinking one of two thoughts, but two thoughts. Uh, One, I'm really glad I didn't blow this guy off. Two, is this a setup? Because this seems almost too perfectly staged. And, I, and I, I, I haven't, it's been long enough now that I can't remember clearly, but I might have even asked you that question. Like, dude, is that part of the thing.
0: Some days it works and some days it doesn't. You know, it's one of the things I love about Reno is that even though it's a big city or, you know, big relative to many places, it's still small enough to where you run into people in the street all the time. I mean, you know, obviously this was pre-COVID and things were happening, but that's one of the things that I love about this place. You, you show up at a coffee shop or a, you know, co-working space and you just know everybody. And that's what makes this part of it feels like a real family, it feels like a real community. I'm really glad that worked
1: out that way, because it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we get uh, panhandled down at the river and it goes the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you your, your comment of it feeling very much like a small town I've seen, having now been you know actively in office down here for a year and a half almost, um, and seeing that where you do go out and you do see people. But the other side to that is that what it requires and what we get here isn't proximity but engagement. So when you see those people that you know, they are both an established connection and one that continues to be one. You know, hey, what are you working on? Genuine interest, not the, hey, wave, how you doing kind of conversations, right? Yeah. Um, and there's only two responses to how you're doing, fine and great. <laughs> Even if you're miserable, it's fine. But uh, here it's... Well, the ecosystem's vibrant, yeah, before you got Reno religion, where were you living? uh well, that's a longer story uh, prior to um being in Reno, we were well we traveled the world for a couple of years, home based out of Costa Rica uh, and then I think all told hit twenty two countries with uh, with the kids, I and mean, we did that for a couple of years. So. so did you have all four kids when
0: you were traveling?
1: Uh-huh. Yep. We waited until Ava, our youngest, um, could make the flight from Colorado to uh, Costa Rica. Uh, Ava, as you know, um, is a very vibrant, uh, um, high-energy kid that uh, we, we couldn't go much further on a plane flight than Denver to Liberia.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love the fact that you have such an international experience and and to take kids. I mean, I I took my kids overseas to Thailand and it was an amazing experience. But taking four seems
1: like um, it seems like a lot of effort. You know, it wasn't. Um, Actually, it was super rad. Um, The way that they engaged with the world and it's it's really gave us a chance to apply. One of the biggest tenets that I teach the kids is to move first. Yeah. to engage with people that you're around uh, if you're in a room introduce yourself. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons for that one it it helps to make you know instant connections. Uh, I found myself in a ton of Italian kitchens as a result of Ava um, you know befriending the world you know never met a stranger this kid uh, and she really does epitomize my sort of tenants of life again of, you know, to move first, to engage with the world. Uh, There's very, there's a lot of reasons for doing that, but uh, it wasn't hard for us to do that at all. They were so great um, and it really made travel different and more full. You know, when I travel or travel just with Jen and we go see the world, we're kind of in expected roles, you know, if you're a foreigner or a stranger to a location, People that you interact with are going to do a couple of things. First, are you a good person or a bad person? Do I want to be around you? Do I want to avoid you? Uh, and then, you know, what kind of traveler are you? And so your engagement tends to be a bit more predetermined, a little, a little thinner. Uh, when you go with kids, especially kids that, that will move first and engage, it blows through all of those barriers. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. And everybody yeah. relates to you. Now we did it with four kids, all of whom were blonde and tan from coming from Costa Rica, especially in Europe. And so the whether you're a good guy or a bad guy was never really in question. They were either, oh my God, I can totally relate to you, or wow, you're crazy to have four little kids yeah. that you're traveling through the world with. Uh and it made travel much, much more enjoyable, much uh, a lot more connections were derived from doing uh-huh. it that way. So we got we've gotten that comment a lot, um, and it wasn't difficult. They were very self-contained. Um, you know, they handled their own business. They, you know, we had ways that we moved through um, crowds. In fact, if you go back and look at our our mm-hmm. photos, uh, we're almost always in the same position, like photo position. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you like, have a lineup? Is it in order of like you know? It's it. Well, I I run almost like a battle buddy uh, mentality with the kids. You were, you were buddied up with someone. Um, and when we went through areas that I was not necessarily concerned, but wanting to move in a safe way, we had a formation for that, yeah. not to sound all, you know, uh, militant about it, but, uh, things were done with very much with intent, kept us safe. Yeah. Uh, I know the vibe, uh, given off was not that of, um, was off target or anything like that. Yeah. But, well, uh, the, kid, the, your, kids, the kids were great. Yeah. Well, prior to your
0: um, entrepreneurial endeavors, you were in the fire service, right? Is it, mm-hmm. is that kind of where you learned about, you know, dealing with the general public or where did you kind of develop some of these thoughts on how to, how to travel or did uh, Eva ultimately pick Reno or was that a, did you, how did you end up here?
1: Oh God. Uh, so we got back into the States. Uh, my wife wanted to see New York City dressed up for Christmas. We ended up spending uh, Christmas with our uh, in-laws, her parents, uh, and then we, I had to adult again. Uh, it was time to start raising another uh, round of financing for what is now Red Dot Management's uh, latest or, or most Highest evolution, okay. and so I knew I had to come back stateside to do that. Uh, the two years that we were away, um, I totally retooled from what was a regional operation to um, go after national hospitals and to to be prepared to do that, which hadn't been done before. Uh, and there was some, you know, chance to reconnect with the family and recharge. And you know, a family, uh, an entrepreneur's family, yeah. they're all in it with you too, for sure. Um, why uh, don't you tell us a little bit about Red Dot? Uh, tell
0: uh, us a sure. little bit what you guys do, and that way we can understand a little bit more about...
1: Uh, yeah, Red Dot is um, a platform to um, monetize motor vehicle accident-related receivables for hospital systems. So it's a really wordy kind of explanation. Can you, can you give me the the, yeah. the pizza version of that? <laughs> I feel like you're speaking Italian, <laughs> but I need, a, I need pizza. Uh, we, we go in and uh, arbitrage... Third-party liability receivables for hospitals. Uh, It's helpful to them in that we uh, create a big bolus of cash. We take over the work of a very difficult tranche of accounts, and we do so in a way that avoids collection activity against the patient. So, um, so is that like a, you're, you're factoring? No. Is it similar no, to factoring? It, we, we get that a lot. Um, where it's different is that we, we take the balance sheet risk transfer. We actually acquire it. So okay. uh, a better or more accurate way to describe that is it's an arbitrage play. Okay. They're a very difficult kind of account to resolve uh, that ends up with a lot of efficiencies for hospitals. And then really generally, bad outcome for patients relative to going through a debt collection activity because they're a self-pay account. They don't have the ability themselves to pay for that. They were injured because somebody else hurt them. Uh, It's a very, very difficult place for a patient to be in. And unless you create a specific platform to address that, you get lumped into the closest thing, which is outsource it to a debt collection company.
0: And you really change that, right? Like you're mm-hmm. really focused on positive patient outcomes, helping the helping the hospital get paid first, but then not collecting from the person who was injured, but collecting from the insurance company. Is that's that, correct. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: That? And Doug, that's exactly right. Um, you know, those patients are um, very appreciative. Uh, we get a lot of very positive feedback from them. Yeah, we, we do that which others have been incapable of doing, which is, Going to those liability carriers, these are your auto carriers, State Farm, Allstate, Geico, and recovering payment for those medical bills through that process. Um, The reason the hospitals struggle with that or why it's so challenging is they're not standardized. You know, a hospital doesn't have a contract with State Farm. These accidents weren't scheduled. So they're 100% manual from beginning to end, both from a scheduling standpoint to a resolution standpoint. Uh, a hospital can't submit their bill to State Farm and follow a contracted payment. They're done on a case-by-case basis. So it requires a very high level of sophistication, uh, a deep understanding of the inner workings of that complex exchange, all of which is very difficult for a hospital, when this is the only payer in their mix that's 100% manual. It's not what they do. Uh And that causes friction between them and those poor patients who did literally nothing wrong. Yeah, they just got into a car accident. They got into a car accident. No fault of theirs. None whatsoever. They're already a victim. And when they get sent to collections to pay for that medical treatment caused by somebody else, they're revictimized, And then they, when they're re-victimized, they actually look at that hospital as an adversary. It's an adversarial process. Uh, we come in and basically fix all that.
0: Yeah, that's great. So it's really win-win for both the hospital. They're getting paid quicker, um, and the patient isn't going through the, the re-victimization of the debt collection process.
1: That's 100% right. Yep, exactly.
0: That's really interesting. So how did, what was your insight for that? How, how did you see this as an opportunity?
1: Well, you know, I started in the legal side of the world, first defending against really extreme sports, uh, wrongful death and, and injury claims, and then rolled into defending against motor vehicle accident claims, and then switched to the plaintiff side of the field and worked with a very busy firm, build them up, uh, dealing with nothing but motor vehicle accident claims. And then in Colorado, when the law switched in 2003, I just happened to be right place, right time to see a market create. Uh, and that's where uh, under a tort system, which most states are, if you and I have a car accident, you have to complete and receive your medical treatment in order to get your case settled. That sure. creates a time um, differential from treatment to payment, where now the medical providers almost become creditors or lenders. We're gonna lend into this underlying claim because you can't afford to pay me until it settles at some distant point in the future. So anytime that happens, there's chaos, there's service provided, services needs to be paid for, when and how much and at what time, all of those question marks created a market. And so uh, I simply started. And I love that you simply started. I got a, simply started. I love that about entrepreneurs. You just saw an opportunity yep. and just took a step. Yep, and Ooh. and um, got better over time, and and went from creating a basically a PPO, which is just a group, a network of providers. Got I think in that one I had 96 contracts in and around the Denver metro area, uh, and then grew that into buying portfolios of aged accounts nationwide. Uh, began to work with hospitals in other aspects um, and then simply identified the largest pain and op- or opportunity, which is, can you roll this out for national hospital systems? Um, and we've achieved that.
0: Wow. Quite the uh, quite the journey. And how, how many years have you been doing this?
1: Oh, God. Well, let's say I had hair back when it started. Yeah, if everybody can uh,
0: – no one can see what I can see, but it's there's a glistening <laughs> – from the place where there used to be hair. Yeah,
1: uh, uh, it's I, a genuine. It's yeah, you know. a ge- thank you. It's a genuine gesture. I, I go high speed low drag with it. Um, I got into this really in circa two thousand four, two thousand five, uh, because the law changed you know, at the end of July in two thousand and three, uh, and so I literally was front line when that's that happened yeah. and, and recognized, and and I came from an interesting perspective, which was the legal perspective. Uh, And then that rolled into the patient perspective uh, with setting up multidisciplinary clinics, and then understanding from the provider's perspective by sitting in the finance chair where we had, you know, contracted rates to acquire these accounts on a go-forward basis. So I've, I've, in looking back, all the dots connect, in that I've sat in every single chair And as I think of it from a visualization standpoint, like a Venn diagram. You've got your injured patient, you've got the attorneys that represent them, you have the liability carriers, and then you have the healthcare provider. And through the course of my career, I've literally evolved through sitting in almost every one of those chairs.
0: Interesting. So you really had an opportunity to kind of experience all the different elements of that. And then in your current incarnation of Red Dot, you're really looking at how do I scale this nationally To and the, the primary health care facilities are your target. But in order to do that, you must uh, need real capital. So Correct. you went from kind of a smaller operation to now something that you're looking to scale nationwide. What have you been doing to 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 scale and fund operations?
1: You know dancing that thin line between risk and success yeah. uh, and and really working hard to minimize mistakes to so that none of them are fatal uh, and honestly, it's uh, and I like the sailing analogy, just you know successfully captaining larger and larger boats until you qualify for the ships yeah uh, and having done that, finding a very good uh, financial partner to back us to, you know, a hundred million is a testament to the course taken. Yeah,
0: now when you first started this, did you see it going this direction?
1: No, 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 it's, uh, like we said earlier, I just started, you know, I decided simply to start. I knew enough that there was opportunity there. And and, and I've been asked that question before, uh, and I think anyone that tells you they have the level of clarity of saying, when I start here today, and now, what are we, 15 years hence, I would be at this point, I, I don't think you can actually uh, predict that. I knew it would, it would work. I knew I had to stay open to the opportunity, uh, and over time, kind of honing my entrepreneurial instincts, of which there's kind of two main focuses. One is, how do I take my opportunity and enhance it, and how do I say no to all the other ones I see? that don't further the mission.
0: Yeah.
1: And that one's the harder one.
0: And how do you make those decisions? I mean, do you do you have a set of deriving core values? Or what's your, you know, how do you navigate through the complexities of these
1: different choices? You know, there are core values, of course. But honestly, it's, is it mission critical? Is it staying focused with what I do? But then I'm very, very fortunate in that I have a very wide and varied network of people I can trust that I can go to and say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking." I call it putting air around it. Yeah. I'll put it out and all day, like, "Hey, I'm gonna go do this thing," and talk about it like I'm going to. And then once there's air around it, either like, "Hmm, that makes sense," or those around me go, "Hey, man, you know this is this, or you should think about that." Um, I guess the the overarching answer to that is I'm not in it alone. Yeah. Uh, and if you are, and you know, it's the old adage for an attorney, if you're representing yourself, then you have a fool for a client. <laughs> uh, and it's something I think similar to that.
0: You know, it, it, I think hopefully most people have gotten over this idea that entrepreneurship is a lone wolf endeavor. I, You know, I think that that hopefully that myth has gone away. But it, this is just another reminder. I mean, I, when I started my own companies, I just was always shocked at all the people that would show up and help you. Just they would just show up, you know, magically when you needed them. I mean, I think about a hero's journey, all these allies along your path. I think, you know, this is just another great example of of that. Um, how, previous to being an entrepreneur, you were in the fire service, is that right? That's correct. How much of the fire service and your lessons you've learned in there have impacted your thinking in terms of entrepreneurship?
1: Well, the thing about the fire service is it is really an ethos. If you are a fireman or uh, an EMS or, or any kind of first responder. Police, law enforcement's a little bit different, but very much still a sheepdog. Um, it's a lot. Um, the way you carry yourself, dealing with integrity, um, not, I'll tell you, the one of the best things I've taken from it that people can relate to is um, I handle pressure well. Yeah. Um, I do well in an emergency. So in circumstances where um, you know, there's a lot of pressure decisions to be made. I'm pretty decisive,
0: yeah. I can imagine that's a good training ground for that. I, I think one of the things that I've remarked about um, our CEO at EDON, you know, his role in the military, he's seen things that just you know I haven't seen as a civilian, and what constitutes a crisis, there's just a different calculation when you're a civilian versus being on the front lines or showing up for someone's worst day or see, you know, just all of the. Some of the, the really harsh things you've seen, I just haven't seen that. And I and I can see how that would strengthen your uh, decision-making process. Oh,
1: 100%. You know, is it is it really a crisis? Anything on fire? Everybody's still breathing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then let's roll with that. Uh, it takes, you know, the threshold to get nervous is a lot different uh, when things aren't on fire.
0: Yeah. Now, do you think, can that create hubris i mean do you do you walk into things that maybe you shouldn't have i mean is it is there a shadow side to that or is that what do you think that's really just a a, a positive characteristic i'm just I'm...
1: no that's a fair question because there's you know there's always a yin and a yang it seems to almost anything yeah. um i'm not sure if i've found <clears throat> where that's a negative other than Um, being aware that most people around you don't share that background. Oh, interesting. And so expecting others to see the world the way you see the world is unfair. Yeah. uh, Because we are a collection of things that we've done and that have happened to us. And so, of course, my outlook, you know, and my kids will tell you this, are colored by, you know, what's the threat yeah. What's you know? Do we have situation? My kids. Will me. <laughs> I just got a birthday card from my oldest. Where uh, on the bottom she said, "You know, uh, uh, keep your head up and on a swivel," which is one of our um, sort of dad sayings that you know. Um, anyway, that's.
0: Oh, now you got to tell me what that means. Yeah. What
1: what is keep your head on a swivel? It's situational awareness. Are you aware of your surroundings? Uh, have your have have your head up and on a swivel, moving, um, not tunnel vision. And that's, I think
0: that's profound wisdom for an entrepreneur. I mean, the, the, the universe that you're operating in is constantly changing. And if you get tunnel vision, you miss, I mean, you miss what's going yep. on around you. I mean, so many companies fail to take it to the next level because they get narrow vision or comfortable.
1: Yep. Well, you know, it's, a, it's a, it's something that, you know, in the fire service, we absolutely continually train on, don't get tunnel vision. Um, don't get so focused in that you miss, you're treating a patient and the house is on fire. Uh, by way of example, um, yeah, the the fire service is continues uh, to serve me uh, throughout my life. Uh, I maintain my skills with it. I still, you know, of course, volunteer uh, in that. Keep my EMT and stuff up. Um, but that helps with everything I do from parenting, uh, what I do out when I have my kids. Yeah, you know, always head up on this level.
0: Yeah, I love it. What- we were talking before, and you mentioned uh, this idea of get expert. I love this. It really, it really resonated with me. So why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about what get expert means?
1: So in the fire service, we're you know, we always training, right? You can't always, until you get to be a really senior uh, member where your skill set and your experience is so deep, is you'll run across things that you don't know how to do. Uh, and a perfect example is how to pop it. I was on a truck, so we did forcible entry, ventilation, search and rescue. And so we were the ones that would break in to get out of fire, get at a patient, whatever. Uh, and there are a whole host of doors. Um, you know, there's commercial roll-ups, there's, you know, deadbolts, there's all kinds of, think of those doors that you go out of a movie theater where you go out one way and now try to go back in them. Well, if we got to come in on a fire, we're coming in that way. And there's very specific ways to get through specific doors. And so we could get on a fire and uh, come to a door that somebody in the crew had trouble with. So we could look at that and go, hey, you should know how to do that because you're a fireman, right? Yeah. It's in your district. You should know this door. Or you look at that and say, hey, we're going to see that door again. So we had an issue with it. Cool. S- you screwed up, own up. Now let's train on it and get expert.
0: Yeah. Wow. So how does that apply? I mean, I can see so many ways that you could apply that in your current business. What are some of the ways that you would apply get expert to your current business?
1: Well, uh, it's a great, uh, and I just had this conversation with one of our teammates. Is how we interface with a particular client's EHR system, Um, and what's an EHR system? uh, It's the electronic health records. Got it. it. And there's fifteen, twenty total in the world, maybe more. There's a handful that have you know the bulk, and so you know each each system has their own tweak on it. And uh, there's consistencies to it and some themes, but each one has kind of their own version. So as we learn those, hey, in this system, when we see this, this is the issue that we had. All right, how do we fix it? Oh, we did this. Cool. Now let's make sure everybody on the team knows that. So once there was a challenge, we now have a level of expertise. Now, now you would mentioned earlier about shadow. Yeah. You got to be careful about things that you don't need to get expert on.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, in
1: my world, just from a personal perspective, I'm not a detail guy. I'm just not. I'm right there with you. So I'm never going to get expert on detail. Yeah. It's not. The the flip to that is it's just, you know the double down on your strengths, but you also have to know where in that strength you have a weakness, and that's where you get expert. So you do have to have some discretion on how you apply that because you can get expert on a lot of things
0: yeah no i could see how you could rapidly you know get expert and go down a rabbit hole of of getting expert on the wrong thing so how do you develop the discernment on which things to get expert on is this where you call your board you phone a friend like how are you deciding i mean obviously your life experience and some of your business acumen helps with that but
1: that's about it right there actually it's just straight up experience Um, you know, having sat in every chair in the Venn diagram speeds that up where I can look at that and go, okay, we need to know this. That's not what we need to know. Uh, or it's something for someone else. Am I going to go get expert on my tax preparation? No. No. Do I do taxes every year? I do. Yep.
0: But you know, from a, that's an interesting mindset though, to bring to your company, you know, how do you transfer that, that idea of get expert in a way that is, uh, that all your employees can have discernment to go get expert in the right ways. Or is that even something you would want to project as a core value to your company?
1: No, it is, because uh, it's, a, it's a core value to me. Uh, and, and lead by example. Yeah. So when I screw up, I own up. Yeah. Hey, I saw this thing. We set up, and, and like how you structure a deal, perhaps. You guys, I structured it this way. Here's how this flows. We've now learned that we need to structure that differently because I've learned whatever I've learned and I need to make a change and being open and transparent to uh, appropriate members to your team so they see it's, it really does come down lead by example Yeah, it can't be do as I say not as I do uh, that never works Yeah. so and, and the rest of that's wrapped up in you know being at a level now I'm a senior man Been on, I've been on the crew long enough I've seen it yep. I know it oh I've seen this before I know how this works and the ability to read that board to know is this a big thing or a little thing
0: yeah, one of the things that I really appreciate about you, Michael, is the way you lead by example just in everyday living. Whenever you and I go to lunch, you're just so gracious to everybody that we meet. Uh, you know, you're you're personable, but you're really treating everybody that we run across with dignity and respect. Tell me a little bit about that, because that's it's something that I just I really notice about you that I don't notice with everybody I hang out with.
1: Uh, well, thank you for saying that. Um, that means a lot to me. You're the sum of the five people closest to you. It's something I've, I've seen others do. Uh, I think it's a better way to go through the world. And you're giving people the room to maneuver. If I move first and treat you with respect, then that's gonna open up a different exchange with you. I'm not looking for you know, big moments from every person I meet, Sure. but there's no reason not to set ourselves up for a positive exchange. And there's also a safety component to that. I like to know everybody in the room in case there's a threat yeah and that goes back to fire service stuff. We always move first. I go into a chaotic scene. I need to know do I have a safety concern for me and my crew yeah. and so I've gotten really good at reading a room and that comes from those moments being in you know gunshot wounds, uh, cases you know big traumas, fights, mass casualties, whatever where you got to know really quickly, what do I have here? Yeah. Got my patient or patients, but is there anybody else that's going to hurt me or my crew? And that just extends out. And so as a fireman, um, you know, always treated people on scene that way. It's a really, really good way to read people. Yeah,
0: I, can, I, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I, you know, I always felt safe with you. Not that I felt unsafe going to lunch, but I felt extra safe going to lunch. So maybe that's just to, you know, emote your, uh, your presence in the room. But you know I guess one of the things that comes up for me about that is I mean what we're really circling around are your thoughts on leadership right I can imagine how you could extend that same perspective in looking out for your team right you, you know your whole team is going out into the world battling trying to create a new product do the you know new things and how you could take that same perspective to protect your team does that does that ring true for you
1: It, it absolutely does. I, I can tell you to a person my team knows I have their back um, and they see that if they do something really good, which is most of the time, uh, and they're rewarded and acknowledged, uh, you know, credit isn't taken from somebody, uh, say, or in the event they've made a mistake of some kind, that we turn it into a learning tool and we move on. Okay. And so, no, um, uh, 100%, my, my team knows that I have their back. Uh, and that And that's, again, my willing to move first. You know, I put them in a position of trust. I empower them to make their decisions. Uh, I often refer to it as you're the CEO of your position. Mm, I like that. And then then I, again, tying in the fire service, you know, I'll sit them down and say, you know, my first day in the fire service, they took us down to the bay, all the big trucks, and said, okay, what are you here for? What do you think a firefighter does? And you got your standard answers. You know, put out fires, rescue babies, you know, all that cool guy stuff. And they said, nope, you're there to solve a problem. Mm. Whatever the call is, yeah, someone's having a problem. Could be small, cat in a tree, kid in a car, house on fire. You're there to solve a problem. So be a solution finder. And that's one of the things that I stole into my company and, and, and the folks that, that agree to come along this journey with me.
0: Yeah, that's great. And how,
1: how do you empower people in your organization to, to be problem solvers? you know it's almost a small unit mentality you know i don't compartmentalize people do you do this thing they understand the board of which they're playing on and it, that vision gives them decision space you can make decisions from this point to that point and then within that space find a solution and then i go back to one of my old hockey coaches that always said make your mistakes at full speed full speed make, that sounds like a recipe for Destruction. No, because a mistake at half speed is doubled. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I get that. I can understand that. There should be a cutout of you through the wall, <laughs> just like at that. full speed, and then screw up, own up. Yeah, that, that's actually one of our core values as a company. Is if you screw up, own up, and that allows us to get expert.
0: Excellent. I like that. I, I really like how you know the fire service has informed. The way that you run a fintech company—two things that you know seemingly are not on the same map—but you can see how that experience shows up in every day, in, in your leadership style, the culture you're building, and the problems you're solving, and, and the way that you know—I really appreciate the way that you've created a win-win solution for both the hospitals and the patients, and I think that really speaks to you know your pers- your your leadership style and the way that you view the world.
1: I appreciate, it. and you're right. It's uh, it's funny. My wife likes to uh, to tease me that everything I do has to do with trauma and accidents. First, to treat them, transport them, and then now to uh, help those same patients navigate the trauma of the finance side of it.
0: Yeah, which it is a trauma. You know, I think that's a really interesting perspective. I think we think about the physical trauma or the things that happen, but everybody knows that it's like the, it's bad enough that something happened, and then there you are in recovery or through the situation. And now you're having to deal with the bureaucracy of whatever it is that's going on. Dealing with the hospital, dealing with the insurance company, dealing with all that. You know, there's a lot of humanity in making that process simpler. And that's, I think that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily connect with until they're in it.
1: 100%. And if you've ever had to deal, uh, and we get this a lot from patients. Uh, thank you. you. know, We get a lot of relief that they're not in debt collection. But you know, for us, we think about it a bit further. You know, extend it beyond the patient. What if that patient has kids? And studies show that kids um, that suffer financial hardship through their parents have a five times—I think it's five times—higher uh, likelihood of mental illness. You know, increased suicide rate. Uh, it really does. Not to get too you know warm and fuzzy about it. You can get as warm uh, and fuzzy as you want in this. But in this it section. really does extend beyond those patients. Yeah. You know, think about—you're the kid you know, mom or dad's been injured, they're already, you know, there's enough upheaval in their life. And then you add a financial strain to that. Um, That can be really, really difficult. So uh, we take great pride in the fact that, you know, we go in, do the right thing, we help people, and there isn't anyone in our platform that's hurt.
0: Yeah. You know, this is how a lot of how I think about economic development, although I didn't think about it like this originally. But, you know, when you don't have a job, that creates a ton of stress on the household and all of these secondary effects, uh, you know, marital discord, issues with your children, all of those things play out. And, you know, people just would want a job. They have dignity when they have a job. And, you know, when we first started this work here, it was like 14 and percent unemployment and it was pretty bleak. And just getting a job was important for people. And it took me a little bit of time to really recognize that because, you know, I tend to be working with high tech, high growth, like how are we going to change the world, you know, really forward looking. But I was really humbled by the initial experience of working with Edon, which is like, we just need to get people back to work because it's really tied to their dignity and so many other
1: elements of, of social uh, contentment. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, again, when you're at the tip of the spear, as you and I both are, uh, in job creation, company creation, uh, you know, we take it very serious that the people that have chosen to work on my dream at my company, um, I'm responsible for. And behind them are their kids um, and whatever activities their kids are in that this job supports and how that helps prepare them for their next stage of life. You know, it does. uh, There's a a lot of weight that comes from that, but also a lot of satisfaction when you say, hey, we've taken an idea done enough to create a company where I can pay people to help me perform and deliver on it. And they have a much higher quality of life than they did when they started. Yeah. And then when they, um, uh, show that back to you, cause I have a very warm team, uh, very open emotionally from a gratitude standpoint, if it's felt. Uh, and so um, seeing the, the nice things that they'll do both for each other and then little things for me yeah. <laughs> you know little um, just meaningful exchanges that you see and so you're building something larger than yourself Yeah, and getting yeah. that buy-in from them and seeing that um, and you're right it stems from you know they're able to support themselves and their families have that handled so the Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing is done now what is it something meaningful? Is it something that's a job? Or is it something larger than themselves? And so we, we aim for the latter.
0: Yeah, it's just part of your DNA, Michael. I, you know, Outside of work, I mean, it's amazing to me, you have four kids, you know, you're running a FinTech startup, a high growth, scalable company, and yet you still find time to volunteer uh, for Military to the Mountains uh, at out at, at Burning Man. So tell me, well, how, did, you know, how do you even have time for that, number one? But I guess, what is the inspiration behind working for Military of the Mountains and, and the work you do at Burning Man?
1: So my, my fire service and, and, and EMS uh, has always been on my volunteer side of the ledger. Uh, I refer to it almost as my pure side. There's no commercial transaction to it. Uh, put another way, I don't get paid to do it. Sure. And I like that. I like that's my give back to society as a whole. I have a skill set. Uh, I have an obligation to share it, uh, and I'm able to find uh, unique ways to do that. So you mentioned military to the mountains. That's, that's a camp, or um, I think it's a camp, I guess the designation for it, that falls under the High Fives Foundation in Truckee. Uh, I volunteer as the, I think my title is medical director um, or safety advisor, uh, which sounds a lot fancier than what I really do. Do you get to
0: wear like a safety monitor uh, thing in the <laughs> hall for a, you to know, get a little flag? Or no, it sounds like it, yeah.
1: I generally wear a tactical medical vest. That sounds uh, way cooler. It does sound, and I got to say tactical because it sounds really rad. But um, no, it's, it's really, I, I volunteer as, as the medical overwatch for, for some of their camps. Uh, included in which the biggest one is the military to the mountains where uh, in conjunction with the adaptive training foundation out of dallas and i believe the city of i know it's the city of reno as well um, they bring 22 combat vets disabled combat vets up to squaw valley and alpine valley to ski for a week a really big deal Uh, it's 22 veterans that come up uh, and they choose 22 because that's how many vets a day kill themselves and so they've they've picked it through Uh, that number. Uh, And one of the other groups along with that is the 22 22 Kill Foundation, which uh, has really solidified that number is why we take that many uh, vets up, but uh, not to get uh, morbid on it. but uh, So I give back uh, that way, allowing me to take my skill set and apply it, um, which is a phenomenal um, event, a chance to spend time with, with folks like that, that have uh, given so much in the defense of our country, and um, yeah, it's
0: you know, I just I really appreciate what you just said though about you know you have a skill set and then you feel like you're you're obligated to bring it to society, and I think that that is I mean that just again just speaks to the core values of of who you are, and I really appreciate that. It's um, you know, it's not you know, I didn't grow up in a military family, I didn't grow up around first responders, and I've only in the last couple of years um, have I had a chance to really meet people that are first responders. I mean, you know, our boss, or our CEO, Mike Kesmerczy is in the military, but it's just given me a whole other appreciation for um, what it takes to put yourself on on the line, and I just have a deep, deep respect for that. Something that I that I just didn't understand uh, just because I didn't grow up around it. I,
1: I didn't either. Uh, I never really considered the fire service. Uh, 9/11 happened, and that changed all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, when I was in New York with my EO group, we went and saw the the um, the fire station that was at Ground Zero, and you know, you knew at that moment. I guess everybody at that moment knew that they were going to walk in and not come out. Or there was something something about that particular fire station at Ground Zero that was just particularly transformative for me. I you know, I, I can't remember the exact story. I'm a little I'm a little yeah, emotional yeah. wrapped up in what we're talking about.
1: So. No, it's uh, I, I've been there as well, and. Um, uh, actually if you look at that's how i ended up in the fire service um how, how did you end up in the fire service from 9-11, oh, from 9-11. Um, watching the footage of now it was the footage of of those good men um, going into that building with that look on their face of knowing what they were getting into and going anyway and then the flip to that is the look on the civilians faces as they're running out yeah that civilians know where they're going. The firemen do too, but wow. for totally different reasons. Yeah. And so I said, hmm, do I have what it takes to run in?
0: Yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing that, Michael. I really appreciate it. I, I know that's, uh, that it speaks so deeply Sorry. about uh, how big of a heart you have and what you care about. And, um, and just really, I'm just really honored to know you, um, and I, I really appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah. That's something I didn't, I didn't know about you. I don't talk about that a lot. Yeah. No, I... So you went from fire service to Burning Man. That's kind of a...
1: <laughs> it's not as big a leap as you'd think. <laughs> uh, for me... I don't I... know if people know exactly where they're going when they go to Burning Man, though. I didn't. I. I it's a funny backstory. I, I read a book called Stealing Fire, and it's all about teams finding optimum flow state. How do you work great as a team? And I've seen it in the fire service. Good crew. Go into a big snotty fire and it just works, man. Like a machine. You know, where your guy's out, I'm here, you're there, I'm in position. And it that's the really one of the most attractive or maybe meaningful things I took from it is being so part of such a high functioning crew that you can go into this austere environment, get your fire on, and everybody works as a unit. Get and your fire just, on. That. Oh God, it's just such a powerful thing to be a part of. Yeah. And so Uh, I read this book, and in it, they talked about Burning Man, and I had thought I knew what Burning Man was, and I was wrong. Uh, And so I finished that chapter, looked up Burning Man on the internet, called him up and said, do you need medics? And they said, well, yeah, but you got to have all of these other certifications. I said, cool. I'm a fireman. How many of those do you need? Because much like the Boy Scouts, we have certs for everything. Do you have a whole like list of badges? Do you have a whole wall dedicated oh, yeah. to all your badges? Yeah, I got a little bit of the I love me wall for sure. Good. good. Uh, That's important. Yeah, a little, it's a self-love. little ego wall. You, know, you, you don't see school stuff. You see my cool guy stuff. But uh, And my wife's very good about framing that stuff up for me. But uh, So I called them up and said, hey, do you need medics? And they said, yeah, you got to have all these things. And I said, hey, I have them here. And I emailed them over and got signed up that day which was unusual for Burning Man.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then I went out there with very little understanding of what I was getting into. Was fortunate to get into a very good emergency services camp, and it turned into this unbelievably magical experience that went both went from me getting to have a great time to running calls. And, and frankly, it's like being back in the firehouse. For nine days, I'm a fireman again, which yeah. is what it is for me. And then we're able to use it to also memorialize a fallen. <sighs> Jesus. Uh, we used Burning Man to uh, as, as a way to memorialize a fallen firefighter friend. Uh-huh. Uh, in the Burning Man organization, there's a very big, uh, very vibrant strata of firemen. There's a big fire service yeah. strata that runs through the org. Uh, and we were able to help support his crew, a good friend of ours that died. Uh, his crew came out as a bucket list uh, completion task. Yeah uh, Mike Rosado, uh, was going to come out and volunteer with me and hang and, and experience Burning Man with me. And then, um, he fell. And so his crew, uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, listen, uh, Mikey had a, had this on his bucket list. We'd like to finish it for him. Can you get us in? And so I went to, um, my good friend, uh, who's the deputy chief at the fire department at, at Black Rock City and said, Hey man, we got this thing. And he goes, yeah, we'll take care of that. Yeah. So that's, so Burning Man gives me, uh, really Burning Man to me is synonymous with the fire service.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's the same thing for me. I get to go back and be a fireman. It supported me and a fallen brother. Um, it's, it's a lot.
0: You know, it's so amazing to me when you hear just a lot of people have a misconception of what Burning, Burning Man is. And I think, you know, here's just another example of what, how unique Burning Man is for you. You know, Burning Man for me has been part of the transformation of Reno. When it first, you know, when we first started working there in, in at EDON, there was a lot of people that were, you know, poo-pooing be, e, Burning Man. They just didn't like all the, you know, they was ha- happy to have the money come in the community, but they just didn't get it. And it really is synonymous for the transformation of Reno. I mean, even down to all the Burning Man art we have in the community. Now the headquarters is here. But it just, it, it speaks so much about like, freedom pushing your edges being innovative thinking outside the box but then about caring and community and mm-hmm. and just being open-hearted I mean, there's just so many elements to it that uh, that have now you know interwoven themselves into the fabric of reno or or have just you know it's just become part of the reno narrative that it's just it's just shocking to me and i and i just really appreciate you know your personal experience with it it sounds like you couldn't have um found a better way to get engaged there and now you know you're at a place where you can uh i guess you're in the backyard of burning man also do you, how many years have you been going
1: so I've, I've volunteered three years uh and then covid stopped us this year yeah. uh so the first year you go you don't know anything yeah right way too much water yeah do you think it's gonna be a thing that it's not and, and even in within that nine days and i think i went 10 the first time because i thought i'm gonna be one and done I'm going to scratch this thing off my bucket list, and I'm going to move on. Uh, And even within that period of time, you have a hero's journey, right? You got that whole arc of why you're here, what you think it's going to be. It's difficult. You have a trough. You kind of hit a low point. You come out of it. You become part of a community, and then you take it back. And for me, it was uh, taking it back to my fire buddies. Hey, man, this was so much fun. You know, it's great medicine. You're helping a ton of people. You get rid of all the paperwork. You don't have as much of the less satisfying part of rendering care in the street. Yeah. And so Bernie Man, and, and to me, I was so stoked about it. And I'm such a, you know, I once I find a cool thing, I gotta share it, you know? I'm yeah. not much for keeping cool secrets. And so I told, that's where, you know, Mikey Rosato uh, learned about it. And he's like, dude, I'm in. So. Uh, And then so the first year, you don't know anything. Second year, you kind of know what's going on. Third year, you're the Pied Piper. And so the third year I took down four guys from Mikey's crew. And they're now like so stoked. I mean, they're sending me pictures of the cool uh, big jackets they've bought or the cool beach cruiser bikes and, you know, all of that stuff. So it's really uh, it's grown now beyond just what Burning Man is for me and what it is now for a whole crew.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it, it's amazing to see how Burning Man can influence your life and,
1: and uh, in ways that you wouldn't expect it to. Yeah. No, he incredibly mean. And I look forward to it and can't wait to get uh, back to it. And it's another connection point here in Reno, like you said. Uh, it's so interwoven with it that you, uh, it's another way to connect to people. Yeah. You know, I go out there with a mission and, and render care. Uh, it's also my gift and my art. So I'm getting my Burning Man on. I just do it from that perspective.
0: Yeah, you're you're a pretty complex individual there, Michael. I mean, you've gone from uh, fire service to fintech entrepreneur to burner to
1: Mr. Christmas. (laughs) Tell me about Mr. Christmas. (laughs) Oh, my God. Now we're digging deep. Uh, I am a self-proclaimed Christmas dork. Uh, I love Christmas. I do the whole thing. Uh, All of the decorations are done by me. Uh, huge fan of the Christmas magic and and what it does. I uh, I just happen to really enjoy Christmas and especially because I see it through the eyes of my kids. Yeah. Uh, and seeing the traditions that we've created, and you know how they uh, relate to them, and it's for us it's all very very positive. Yeah. And I it's just you know I'm it's a near sharing my deep dark secrets.
0: Well, I got to just say you know it's one of those things. If you ran into you on the street you probably wouldn't be like this guy is Mr. Christmas. I mean, you know, you're, yeah. you're a big guy, you know, you've got tats. I mean, you're, you know, you, but you, you know mm-hmm. what people can't see is the size of your heart. That's clearly what this is about. But it's just, it's so funny when you told me that, I, you know, and I know you and I was like, Mr. Christmas, really? But it's just another facet of the interesting Michael Buman.
1: I appreciate that. I do love me some Christmas. And and uh, yeah, and it's nice as my whole family is, <clears throat> excuse me, the kids and, and Jenner, you know, allow me my way. Like I do all the decorations, uh, you know, the Dickens villages, and that's plural. Uh, you know, we got our tree. This year was you know because of COVID and stuff. The tradition was, was modified, uh, but the kids rolled with it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's one of my deep dark ones. Yeah, no,
0: it's great. I, you know, I unfortunately don't have the same passion. You know, I my wife has to cajole me to get the the, the lights on and off the house. think <laughs> We're just gonna leave them on now. <laughs> Um, but I, I was inspired by the trains and all of the photos you sent me of of all the Christmas decorations. so you definitely you, uh, yeah a little bit of a Christmas spirit rubbed off on our family oh, I'm
1: glad so to you, hear that that's that's that. one of the better uses of it. Yeah, I was the dad that would get up on the uh, the ladder with the the bells and the stomping around and uh, yeah with four kids as they transition through what Christmas is. Uh, and their view of of Santa and the magic, but um, Stephen, it's better with kids.
0: Yeah. So, do you have a picture of Chevy Chase on your on your mantle or something? Is like, you know, are you inspired by by Clark Griswold? Is that or is it is it a different uh, inspiration?
1: Well, I'll tell you that that the movie, of course, is in our our holiday uh, rotation. Uh, that and you know the Christmas story and and the Jim Carrey uh, version of Grinch. Uh, Charles Dickens, of course, crushed it uh, with *A Christmas Carol*, which is also part of that process. Yeah.
0: Well, kind of bringing it back to all full circle. You know, maybe is there any Christmas gifts uh, out there for people that want to join Red Dot? I mean, are you look, you have some positions that are open for hiring. What, what are you guys thinking about for the yeah, next? Yeah, t- uh, we
1: are growing rapidly and uh, uh, hiring for what we refer to as account managers, uh, which are the people that interface with. Um, the patients, the hospitals, really, really the tip of our spear uh, where we interact because we're we're very much a people uh, focused enterprise. Uh, We, you know, we don't hide behind our emails, say Uh, it's, it's people work. Uh, So yeah, we're hiring, always hiring account managers. Um, Just picked up another uh, great one that starts with us next week. Um, And so, yeah, that's, you put that on my Christmas list. Yeah, and where would I go learn about this? Oh, thank you. Uh, you know our website's www.reddotmgmt.com.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa, whoa. Let's go do that again. All right. www. <laughs> A
1: Little too quick. Uh, it's Red Dot Management, but we shorten the management down, so uh, we spell out Red, and then we spell out Dot, and then we shorten Management to MG mt.com. Gotcha. So, and what's the
0: what? Where does Red Dot come from?
1: Oh God. So more more dark secret. So I've got uh, a number of of special forces friends that boy, that's where the name comes from. It's it's a reference to uh, a a red laser point off of a scope. Uh-huh. Uh And I had two companies back in the day. Uh, one was the uh, acquirer of assets, and the other was the IP. Behind it, and the IP behind it was Red Dot. Uh, it was never really meant to be public facing, and so it was done as a nod to my special forces buddies. Uh, and there are some inside jokes around that. And then, as the company evolved, the uh, one company I simply wrapped up into Red Dot and went, I actually expected to change the name. And then, when people hear the backstory, They're, they dissuaded me from doing so. We don't sound the least bit medical. No. We don't sound the least bit financial. Uh, It's a cool guy backstory.
0: Yeah, I like it. I mean, and you're a cool guy, which it fits your backstory, but you're also, you know, big hearted, uh, Mr. Christmas, just a lot, lot going on there. And I think that is what makes for a really uh, compelling work environment. You create a dynamic environment. Uh, you're a really amazing entrepreneur. I, I really am I'm so glad that you chose to come to Reno. I think you, to me, represent you know the future of where Reno is going. I wish, I wish we could have a lot more. Well, I don't know if the town is big enough for a lot more of you, but you know, we'd be better off with more Michaels in our community.
1: I appreciate it. I'll tell you, Doug, and uh, I, I do have to say thanks. Um, Reno has been great for us. Uh, very supportive. Uh, I come from... When I first started my companies, there was no ecosystem, there was no support. It was that lone wolf that you described. I didn't know any better. Um, I was very close to Boulder, which has you know a startup tech um, ecosystem, which I didn't belong. Um, You know, my fintech is focused on medical, um, not just tech, not a straight tech play. And so, going from really being a lone wolf and on our own, or on my own, trying to figure this thing out, you know, in flight. To come into an ecosystem where people truly do want to support you. Um, the ability to be able to help other entrepreneurs, uh, to engage with them and to, and to share in their successes and for them to share in yours and to feel like you're actually part of a tribe.
0: Yep. Uh,
1: and I'll tell you, you guys get it done here, uh, it's a good group. Um, I've made a ton of very positive, very valuable, very meaningful connections with other entrepreneurs in Reno. We wouldn't be as far along as we are uh, if we were in a different place.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, we've worked really hard to build a set of values, enable you know for that to become true. And I, I really see us as a barn raising community. But it, you know, people still have to deliver. I, I can see it however I want, it, but it has to be true. Right. And I think it's. You know, it's a reflection of what's really um, made this place great. So, I'm glad that you have found success here in the in the you know the the current incarnation of your company, and I wish you the greatest success as you scale up. And I look forward to uh, building on our friendship and seeing all the great things you're going to do beyond
1: Mr. Christmas Burner. And uh, and startup tech entrepreneur. <laughs> right, Doug, I appreciate that man. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, us here in the entrepreneurial trenches, sure appreciate all that you and Don do for us. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, all right. right, take good care, man, all right, buddy.